want you to look in your book a very, very familiar portion of Scripture. Psalms chapter 126. Psalms 126. In my second Bible, I saw this some time ago. And I don't know, someone had preached a message. And I had written by Psalms 126, 5 and 6, no reaping with no weeping. No reaping with no weeping. And so that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. It says in verse 5, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. We thank you for the songs of Zion that have been sung. We thank you for the young men singing their specials and for our brother reminding us of Ruth and the handfuls of blessing that you have bestowed upon our way over the decades. I pray, Lord, that this would be a little bit more, perhaps, than just a Wednesday night devotional. But it could be, and I trust it is, will be a defining moment in someone's life. For the few in just two verses that I read. It's a little bit more than black ink on white paper. They are the very words of God. And I pray they would penetrate the hearts and minds and souls and beings of someone here tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. One of the most heart-rending stories I have ever heard in my life is the story of David and Sophia Flood. They left Sweden and went to Africa as missionaries in 1922. They went to a place in the Belgian Congo that had never been touched by the gospel. Their only protection was the promises of God. And in that dark land, long before modern conveniences were even thought of, they went to a little village, a town called Nadalra. There had never been any Christian influence there. They went there with another missionary couple, which I think it is wise to go two by two the Ericsons by name. And they commenced their work with no help and no hope but God. The chief of that village would not allow them to come into the confines of that little town for he was afraid that their presence would offend his false gods. And so a half a mile from that little African town on the slope of a hill they built two mud huts and called them home. They prayed for some spiritual breakthrough. 
They long to desperately to share the message of God with these people, but there seemed to be no way. Their only contact that they were allowed to have was a little native boy that would come out to those mud huts and try to sell them things that he might couldn't make a little bit of money off of. They were so determined to tell that lad of God's love was Sophia, Mrs. Flood. Years went by. No converts. No success. And if you would count the little salesman who in his simple way one day prayed. And that was it. Things seemed to go from bad to worse. The Ericsons both contracted malaria and finally they'd had enough. They said, we're not staying any longer and they left. Back to the mission compound, 100 miles plus away, they went. The floods are there alone. Now she's expecting a child in a little mud hut a half a mile from a hostile, unfriendly tribe in the interior of the Belgian Congo a hundred years ago nearly. In her suffering, chief was made aware and so he allowed a midwife to go and assist in the birth and a little girl was born. But the strain of that birth and perhaps the poor diet it was too much for young Sophia. And seven days, 17 days later, she died. When Sophia died, something snapped inside of David. He dug a crude grave. He buried his wife. He put a marker across with her name on it in English. She, he took her little, his, her and his wife's little daughter back to the compound. And he left little Aggie with the Ericsons, not knowing that eight months later, they would both die of malaria. David bitterly remarked when he left, he said, I am going home. My ministry is a failure. I have lost my wife. When the missionary that took him to the port bid him goodbye, his remarks were this. God has ruined my life. And he returned to Sweden as a hardened cynic. He married again. In the midst of his rebellion and hatred towards God, he placed one rule upon his household that the name of God would never be mentioned in this place. He rejected the call of God and followed a path of ruin. Now I want to say to you tonight, if you walk away from God, if you go down the path, it may not be as dramatic as David's floods. But you may say, you know, I failed. I, I'm ruined. I quit. 
circumstances had brought me to the precipice of despair and the point of tears, watching and seeing from my life nothing. I'm going to talk to you about three things and then another three things and I'll be done. Number one, I want you to consider the tears of unfulfilled expectations. Sometimes as we labor for the Lord, we often feel like a failure. As a preacher, you preach and nothing happens. You pray and you study and you feel like you have the message. You talk of his grace being sufficient and it is. And you talk about quitting and we shouldn't. And you talk about trusting God and we should. But we don't see the results that we like to see. I got a letter from a church that supports our ministry. No other church does this that supports our work, but this church and the preacher always writes a letter every three months when I get a check from him, $15 a month, he supports our work, our ministry, not me, but uh, our revival in our time ministries. He wrote these words. He said, I never, I never accomplished anything I set out to do. Maybe we did what God set out to do with us. We didn't do what we thought we were going to do, but God did in us what he wanted Through a family tragedy, he had a church that ran 400, and now if he has 50, he's fortunate. His expectations went unfulfilled. And then I think there are the tears that flow from wounded spirits. Brethrens do, brethren do this to us. You know, salvation does not rob you of your feelings when you get falsely accused. Some people just quit, they give up, and their ministry is gone. They feel like their life is over, and they walk away. Maybe not as drastic as David Flood, but you have to take a back seat to others, and they're boasting. And those battle scars feel like open wounds that never heal, and Baffling circumstances breed despair. And we cry, too much, I, I've had enough. I can't go on. And then there's the tears of a broken heart, perhaps over a wayward child. I was preaching in North Florida some time ago. They had given me a car, an old clunker, to drive back and forth from the church to the hotel. I tell you one thing about when a church gives you an old clunker to drive back and forth from the hotel to the church, it helps your prayer life drastically. <laughs> and I got to the church a little bit early and the pastor's house was right next door to the church and nobody was in the parking lot yet. And so I knocked on the door and went in and 
they greeted me and I sat down on the couch. I wasn't there two minutes, I don't think. And I saw some headlights come in and I heard some people, some steps on, uh, some feet on the steps and I heard what seemed like a little girl crying. And the door opened and the pastor's wayward son came in with a little daughter about that tall. And he said, my ex-wife just got a DUI. She's over at the sheriff's and I had to go pick my daughter up and here she is. And he stormed out of the house. And the grandmother went and when she touched that girl's hair, it began to move, just covered with lice. The heart, heartache, the heartbreak of these negative things that sometimes happen to our families. You know, some things happen that are worse than funerals. You know, these situations, you don't get sympathy cards. Nobody sends you flowers. And the grief is palpable. There's nothing pleasant in these words of David when he said, they that sow in tears. It's not the easy way. It's not the fun-filled journey. Now with all this negative in our biblical battery, there must be some positive. And David said, shall reap in joy. And look what it says. I've got these new eyes. I told you that when I was here, I think in June. And so I have just these readers and they're about worth what you pay for them. And verse 6, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. Psalms 30 and 5, weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. It's sad to see those wounded slip away. And, you know, you hope that folks return to the Father's house and I've had preacher friends, as your pastor surely has, who have left the pulpits, maybe in disgrace, maybe in discouragement. They leave the place of their youth and the shouts of victory that they once knew. We all go through things. I could take you, I, I, have, I have a calendar. It's five years at a time. In each one of those calendars, and I could take you back 14 years ago to Father's Day. And something happened in our family. And I wrote in that, it's not a diary, but I write stuff that happened. It's my date book. And I wrote beside that day the worst thing that's ever, the worst day of my life so far. The worst day of my life so far. But a year ago, about right now, that boy whose wife left him, she married, he married a wonderful lady, a wonderful Christian lady, 
She's a nurse, and she's a brilliant lady, and she's been a great blessing to our home. These negative things happen, but joy comes in the morning and come again with rejoicing. There's blessings to be had if you just stay faithful. Do you ever want to just quit going to church? Don't say amen right there. You heard about that guy, didn't you? His mother came into the bedroom and said, Honey, you've got to get up. and It's church day. It's Sunday. You've got to go to church. He said, I ain't going today, Ma. She said, You have to go. He said, I'm not going there. He said, Nobody likes me. People don't, they don't, they don't smile. He said, I, I don't want to go. I'm not going to church today. She said, Son, you have to go. He said, Give me one good reason why I have to go. You're the pastor. That went over better one other time I said that. <laughs> you know, God will bless you when you least expect it. Right. How to know the joy and rejoicing. Number one, just simple thoughts. Let the past be the past. You can't fix the mistakes and blunders of your past. Right. And quit reminding God of what he has already forgotten and forgiven. Eliminate the what ifs. Let it go. That chapter of your life is past, but it's not the end of the story. God can make good things out of your life if you would leave it all in his hands. I read a wonderful story one day of a cathedral in Europe. And they had stained glass window that was a masterpiece of art. And people would come. It was such a notable work that people would come from around Europe just to, just to see this particular stained glass window. One day a storm of wind came and destroyed it, blew the window into thousands of pieces, crashed on the church floor. There was nothing to be done but sweep it up. They put the fragments in boxes, stored it down in the basement of the church. Months passed and a visitor made a long trek across several European countries to see the window. He, he didn't know it had been destroyed. His journey was in vain he thought, because the window was no more. He just happened to ask. He said, what became of the pieces? He said, well, come, we'll show you. And went down in the basement, and there's all those boxes filled with those pieces of broken glass. He said to the sexton, he said, can I have them? Well, well, I have to ask the preacher, I guess, and maybe some men in the church, and so finally, it was quickly, he, they, all those shattered remains, they said, they're no use. He said, glad, you can have them. Glad to be rid of them. Get them out of the basement. So some time passed, and the officials of that church were summoned to a distant city and an artist's studio. An artist there was skilled in glass craft and when they came into his studio, there was a large black cloth over something. 
And when they stood there, they said, what are we here for? He pulled that canvas down and beneath it glimmered a brand new window with all those pieces put back together. Its tints and its contrast, its colors, and its design was more beautiful than the original. From the fragments of the old was fashioned a glorious new window. And I want to say to you tonight, if you would just bring the fragments of your shattered life to the master, he can put it back together and make something beautiful out of your life. Number two, live today to its fullest. Some of you, some of you here tonight may be in the prime of your life. Some like these young men are in the early dawn of their days. Some of us, the shadows are once again lengthening. Get out of the corner of self-despondency. Put a smile on your face. Be kind to others around you. I mean, you know, it's a, we, have, we live in America now. We have to go around like this. You can't even tell if someone's smiling at you anymore. It's disgusting. I have noticed this, though. Some people look a lot better with masks on. <laughs> Use the God-given gifts that you have for him. Amen. I can't do anything. Sandy knows this lady. She's in heaven now. Her name was Lucy Seward. Lucy never got married. And if you saw her, you would know why she never got married. She was one of the greatest people I think I ever knew in my life. I think, if my memory's right, she was my Sunday school teacher when I was just a, maybe 10 years old, just a little kid. Faithful, faithful member of my father's church for decades. She wasn't outgoing at all. She really had no personality. But just a humble, plain Jane of a lady. Later in life, when the printing ministry got going at my dad's, uh, they would get requests from all over the world for Bibles. And Lucy had a little money because she'd never spent any in her life, I don't think. And she worked for the state of Michigan. She might have been governor, I'm not sure, but uh, she had a lot of the governor's money, I know that. And so these letters would come from all over. And she'd come to the church. She'd put those Bibles or New Testaments in packets and seal them and put those foreign addresses on and send them all over the world at her own expense. Anybody can do that. You know how to send a packet. You know how to send a letter. God has something for every one of us in this room to do to hasten the kingdom of God. You could be a door greeter. You know, a nice guy door greeter, not like the one you normally have around here. That, that guy wasn't here tonight, was he? Bless his heart. Is he going to be here Sunday? I hope not. He'll be mad at me, won't he? Number three, give your, 
He better be here Sunday. Is his wife here? Oh, no. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. Go ahead. Tell him. I don't care. Number three, give your tomorrows to God. Have you already given up? You know, reaping always follows sowing. I've never planted a garden in the springtime and had it pop up the next day. It takes a while. Don't get in a big hurry. Reaping follows sowing, and joy follows sighing, and rejoicing welcomes the soul after sorrow. You remember the floods? You remember she was buried in the interior of Africa? And he went embittered back to his homeland of Sweden. But what happened to that little girl? Little Aggie. The little orphan. Well, she was adopted by strangers. She was raised by two American missionaries. They came back to America eventually. She got saved. She went off to Bible college and she married a preacher. Years passed. One day she was someplace, maybe a library. I, I don't have that part down. She saw a, a religious magazine that was in a foreign language. And she just sat there waiting, thumbing through it until... She was stopped cold and stunned. For there was a picture on that page in a magazine in some other language of a grave on a nameless hill in darkest Africa. And on the little headstone were the words in English, Sophia Flood. Her mother's name. How could her mother's grave be in a picture in this magazine? She lived not far from a university, and so she took the magazine, found somebody there that knew that language, and they read it to her. The magazine story told of a little white baby girl. Her mother had died. Her mother had led a little black boy to Jesus. It was a boy who had sold goods to them, and that boy grew up and begged the chief of the village to let him tell the story that Sophia Flood had told him. And soon several were saved. And then their parents got saved. And even the old chief had been won to Christ. At the time of the writing of that article, 600 people in the village or the town of Nadalra were believers. Aggie knew it was true. It was her family. She began to research. She found the city in Sweden where her father lived. She traveled to Sweden. She contacted, made an appointment, and found an old, bitter man. A life ruined by alcohol, married, four other children, 
one rule in this sordid huddle of a home. The name of God is never to be mentioned. She entered that squalid, rough, bottle-strewn apartment. She said, Papa. The broken man cried. He said, oh, Aggie, I never meant, I never meant to give you away. With her arms around her father, she said, Papa, God has taken good care of me. The old man stiffened in her grasp. The tears seemed to freeze on his cheeks and no longer fell. And he turned to the wall and he mumbled, God forgot all about us. She said, Papa, Mama did not die in vain. Your tears watered the, sa- watered the seed. There have been hundreds saved now in that region. And a lifetime later, a broken-hearted, defeated, estranged child of God wept his way back to Jesus. Amen. Time passed. Aggie and her husband went to the village in Africa. And as they approached the village, they were met by a cheering throng. Save natives. They were, they were led to the grave. A little, right cro- a little white cross with the name of Sophia Flood inscribed there, I'd like to say emblazoned on it. And a stately white-haired native stood and told. He said there's been over the years 110,000 baptized believers in this region. He told eloquently how the gospel had spread from one little boy that Sophia Flood had witnessed to. And that little boy had never forgotten the message. And Aggie saw tears glistening on the ebony cheeks of that stately man. And he looked down at her and said, I am the little boy your mother told about Jesus. Friend, amidst the mountains of our our turmoils and the twisting sometimes of our soul and the burdens that seem to pile up like a Mount Everest or the valleys that we go through are deeper than Death Valley. Never quit. Stay faithful. You will reap in joy if you sow in tears. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness tonight. We thank you for your never failing faithfulness. The same God that moved Boaz to speak to his field hands about laying out little blessings on purpose is the same God that we serve tonight. The same God that we worship. The same Lord that we love. God, I have no doubt if you could take care of little Ruthie 3,000 plus years ago, you could take care of us today in the midst of COVID, in the midst of Biden, 
in the, in the midst of all that we face in an untimely future. If you could use a little girl to help her daddy realize that mama did a good thing in winning a little black boy to Jesus. If we could just somehow see the big picture of what you're doing and what you want to do in the lives of those that are redeemed by your grace and can call ourselves your children. Help us to forget about the negatives of the past, the heartaches that sometimes drive us to our knees, and just stay faithful. <laughs>